I don't know how many of you all recognize this little book, but this is the 1940 hymnal of the Episcopal Church. And there is a song in this hymnal that is designated or in the region of the hymnal marked for children that seems particularly relevant to today in light of our readings. I want to read to you the text from this children's hymnal, children's hymn. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness be thou near me. Keep me safe till morning light. All this day thy hand has led me, and I thank thee for thy care. Thou hast warmed me, clothed and fed me. Listen to my evening prayer. Let my sins be all forgiven. Bless the friends I love so well. Take us all at last to heaven. Happy there with thee to dwell. The beauty of this hymn is that it reminds us of God as our shepherd, which we hear repeated through our readings, our lessons this morning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, is one that is so familiar to so many people. Even those that aren't familiar with the Christian faith are aware of the 23rd Psalm. It's another piece of scripture that is taught to children at a very young age and remains with them. And then, of course, John's Gospel, this 10th chapter that we read here this morning, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is so much a part of our understanding of who God is and of who God is in Christ that you will see depicted in art from the very beginning of Christianity, Jesus holding a lamb, cradled, nestled close to him at his chest or maybe across his shoulders, but in either place it is a place of security, a place of provision, a place of love where we know that he knows the value of that sheep. It is an image that sticks with us in order that we might remember that God cares for us in our every need. That's why we commit ourselves to remembering the 23rd Psalm, to remembering hymns like this children's hymn or the passage of scripture that we heard from John's Gospel this morning. The awareness of the 23rd Psalm usually runs deep within us, and I have had many occasion, and the most recent one only a few months ago, where I have visited someone who is near death and have reminded them of the promise of this psalm. In fact, that's what I usually do when I enter into a room of someone whose breathing is shallow and they're non-responsive, when the doctors have said it's likely to be only a few hours that they remain here on earth. On this particular occasion, I did enter the room of this woman who I didn't even know, but she'd come, grown up in the Episcopal Church, and her children looked up the nearest Episcopal Church to the place where she was um, preparing for her death, and that happened to be St. Stephen's. When I entered the room, she didn't acknowledge me. Her eyes weren't open, and nothing changed, even when I said my name and made known my presence in her room. And as I do, I prayed some prayers from the Book of Common Prayer, and then I went to the psalms that we hear and are appointed for the funeral liturgy, Psalm 23 being one of them. Those psalms do the best, I think, of reminding us of God's provision for us and God's care for us. And she listened, I guess. I couldn't really tell. But as I started the 23rd Psalm, 
She made a motion. Her head turned more toward my voice. Her breathing changed. She didn't open her eyes. She didn't say anything. But deep within her, she knew this psalm. Her body responded to the promise of this scripture. We need to be reminded of God's provision for us, God's care for us, God's ability to hold us in our most vulnerable state, that God protects us from the evil around us, and even in the most difficult times, God is with us, caring for us. We need to remember that because we quickly forget it. Our scripture this morning reminds us that God cares for us not only in life to come, but in the here and now. Because as you remember in the 23rd Psalm, the author of that psalm talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He's very much alive, but in a place of great vulnerability. He talks about his enemies and that God sets a table for him in the midst of his enemies. He knows no fear because of God's provision for him. That God sustains him even in the most terrible and terrifying circumstances. Indeed, we are reminded of that in John's Gospel as well. Because right before the portion that we read this morning, the very sentence before what we read this morning, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. And then he goes on to talk about his role as the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd, he says. He has come that we might have life and might have it abundantly. What does that mean, though? How is it that we know that we have life abundant in the here and now, not just in eternity? Well, we can remember some of the other words that Jesus says from Matthew's gospel. When he says, do not worry. Do not worry about what you are to eat, what you are to drink, or about what you are to wear. The Gentiles, the unfaithful, worry about those. But remember, your Father knows what you need even before you ask. Consider the lilies of the field, he says. They neither toil nor spin. But Solomon, King Solomon, wasn't even decked out as greatly as they. And they are here one day, and tomorrow they're gone. How much more does God care for you, O you of little faith? We are reminded time and again that God has come, and God comes to us to alleviate our suffering. It does not mean that every day will be 72 degrees with a slight breeze, sunny, and everything in bloom. It does not mean that we won't face hardships, but what it does mean is that we will not face hardships alone. And that we will not face them in fear, which is a huge burden in life. God is with us always, providing for our every need, sustaining us even in the most difficult times, so that we are not overcome with our fear and anxiety about the unknown, but instead know that God is with us and thus we can have hope that God provides for our very needs. And so we are challenged by this first letter of John that we read here this morning to remember that if God has come to alleviate our suffering, how we as children of God are empowered and charged to do the same. In the very beginning here of this first letter of John, we are reminded of this. He asks it in a, actually in a negative way, this question, the second full sentence in this first letter of John. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? You see, we are children of God, 
And God has come to alleviate our suffering, to draw us close to him, so that we might know the security that is known in relationship with him. And so we, as God's children, are meant to do the same, to go out and to respond to the needs of a hurting world. We are charged to take inventory of all that we have, all that we have of the world's goods that can be, rep- can be offered to those that need them. It's our job to take inventory to consider what it is that we have been given that we have available to share. There's a lot of need out there, and we can be overwhelmed by the reality of it, but we can consider what it is that we have that we can give away, and that becomes a prayerful exercise. Maybe you encounter people throughout the week who have their hand out. You will never be able to give enough that makes their hand quit being out for assistance. But you might consider how it is that you can help them from what you have. I know that when I go into the city, I try to remember to prepare myself by putting several bills in my pocket. Maybe $5 I decide I'll give away that day. I have them separated into ones. And the first five people I encounter that have their hand out, get them. The sixth person, I don't have any more that day. It doesn't mean that they won't be there the next day or the day after, but I happen to have $5 I can give away on that day. Maybe you do too. Or maybe money isn't the thing that you have available, but you do have time. In our socioeconomic class, we all have some element of leisure time. The poor rarely have times of leisure. Consider what of that you can give away. An hour a week, four hours a month, given to help people in need. As a church, we try to provide opportunities for you to plug in to do exactly that so that you don't have to go looking far and wide for a way to make a difference in the world, to, to a way to respond to the needs of a hurting world. We have opportunities even today, next weekend too. How is it that you have hours? How many hours might you have to respond to the needs of a hurting world? This is what we're called into as children of God. Because God responds to the needs of a hurting world. That's what we're reminded of in this image of God as shepherd, of Jesus as the good shepherd. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Episcopal saints. We do have some. We don't put them through the same um, checklist as our Catholic brothers and sisters, but indeed we do have saints, people that we recognize as living and demonstrating the love of God in the world. One person in particular came to my mind in in preparation for this morning, and that is Jonathan Myrick Daniels. Maybe his name rings a bell to some of you. He turned 26 years old in 1965. He was a seminarian up at Episcopal Divinity School in Cambridge, Mass., when the invitation came for people to join in the March on Selma. He and another seminarian made the journey down from Massachusetts to Alabama and participated in that march and decided through actually a fluke to stay. You see, they missed the bus home and they decided to consider again whether they would go back to Massachusetts for that spring semester. They petitioned to the seminary to allow them to stay and to study in Alabama throughout that spring working in the issues of the civil rights movement, promising to come back at the end of the semester to take their exams. And indeed they did. 
Jonathan returned back to that same region throughout the summer, living with an African-American family as he worked for the civil rights movement. And he was involved in a protest in the middle of August that led to him being in a little county jail with a certain number of other people. After six days, they were released from that jail, but were not promised or given any transport beyond the front door of the jailhouse. Some people got rides to other areas, but Jonathan and a a Catholic priest and two African-American girls were still left there at the end of being released. They decided to walk down the street to a soda fountain, which was known for serving people of all races. And when they arrived there, standing out front, was a person with a shotgun and a pistol and a holster. When they got there, there was an exchange of words, and the person with the shotgun leveled it right at one of the African-American girls. Jonathan pushed her out of the way, and in that motion of pushing her, he ended up directly in front of the fire. It killed him instantly. When we hear about laying down your life for someone else, we do not know what that means. None of us could be so bold to claim to know whether that invitation is even ours. But what we do know is that we are called to respond to the needs of a hurting world. We have been empowered through Christ to do that because God in Christ has responded to the needs of a hurting world. God in Christ has come to relieve our suffering so that we might live no longer in fear, but in freedom and joy, realizing that all that we need, we are provided for. And so we ask boldly of God to keep giving to us so that we might continue to give to others in response to the needs that we see around us. Because we remember, as resurrection people, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen.